Riley, you do right. I don't know why she wanted to look at the book so much, because she can't read. <laughs> she can't read. 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Normally, normally we put our last one down for a nap before services, and today we tried not to, and so we're going to see how that goes. <laughs> it didn't seem to be working the rest of the week. So you remember last night I said that uh, my wife often says, all the kids were good except for yours, right? Except for your youngest. We got back to the room last night, and guess what she said? All, I, didn't even say, I didn't even ask her. She said, well, all the kids were good except for yours. <laughs> so it is what it is. She's learning. They say that uh, whenever a question is asked, you know, they do a review time, and every time a question is asked, uh, sometimes she just blurts out the answer. I think she gets impatient with other people that they're not giving the answer as quickly as she wants it to, so she does that. She's her own person. Uh, you know, when I had our first one, I thought, I wonder what the second one's going to be like. And it was, she was, you know, faith is completely opposite of Adri. And so I thought the third one, you know, I'm ignorant. I thought maybe she'll be like one of the other two. Nope. She's completely different than the other two. I, I mean, like completely different. And then so I thought, you know, a fourth one, what, what could that be like? And uh, <laughs> she is like all of them put together. And, and that is very true. I took her to Walmart today, and I had to ask my wife. I said, is she always like that? Because literally every aisle we went down, anything, anything she saw, oh, 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 I love this. I, love, I, had, I tasted these once. Oh, oh, can I have this? You know, I mean, everything. She was happy. Dad, Dad. I, I, you know, everything. I, I started laughing, and I asked her at one point. I mean, she picked up like a bag of Trail mix, it's got odd stuff in it. You know, it's not normal trail mix. It's like, I don't know, macadamia nuts and some kind of, you know, I don't know, dried avocado. I don't know. It was weird stuff. I couldn't tell. And she said, oh, I love this. I said, you don't even know what's in there. And she said, yes, I do. I said, well, what's in it? She said, read the words. <laughs> she can't read. She didn't know what it was. Said, read the words. So, you know, that's a good, that's a good thing to do. Read the words, okay? Read the words. That'll, that'll guide your way. Um, I hope at, at the very least that at the end of this week you are drawn to the Lord because that's what he is trying to do with us is draw us to himself. The psalmist was right. The Lord is my shepherd and uh, the Lord is our shepherd and his sheep hear his voice and they know him and they follow him and that's our goal is to follow the Lord. Sometimes we as sheep we get distracted with our own way. Sheep are, are uh, they'll see the blade of grass in front of them and they'll go after that. That's what they go after. And so we have to be careful because I know I'm like that. You know, I see a little bit of grass over there and, and, and man, I'm, I'm heading that direction. And I have to keep my eyes on the Lord and, uh, and that's through his word and I can hear his voice. And that may be a little bit more difficult is listening to what the Lord is saying as I read his word. So that's some of what God gives preaching for us to help us with that. And 1 Samuel is where we are tonight. And there's an interesting story that we have here of a woman who had a great burden in her heart because of circumstances in her life. And so she did the right thing. She went to the Lord with her burden. This world does not go to the Lord with their burdens. They find ways to cover them to hide from them, to escape from them. 
and to try to deal with them their own ways and often it causes more problems than it fixes. Uh, but going to the Lord with our burdens is exactly what we need to do. And so we'll start reading in verse number 1, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim, of Mount Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did, year, did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, Why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli, the priest, sat at the on a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said to her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah said, answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have thy hither spoken too. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the, Lord, and the God of Israel grant thee the petition that thou hast asked of, thee, of him. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to pray that we can come by your request to your throne room and know that what we're told in Hebrews is true, that we are in the throne room of grace. And know that you are there to, to hear us and to help us. I pray that tonight we would be encouraged and challenged to pursue you through prayer. To get to know you. To ask for your help in our lives so that we can see your presence. So that we can share you with others. So that it's obvious that we are your child. And that you want that as well. And I pray that you'd help us with this passage tonight as we look through it. And we ask your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's some elements in here that will help us to effective prayer. It's not that only certain prayers are effective, but that our prayers can be more effective. We're told all throughout Scripture to seek the Lord through prayer. Jeremiah 33.3, call unto me. God says that, and I will answer thee. And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. What an encouragement 
that we, don't, we can see great and mighty things. We're told in Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing or be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You have requests? Make them known unto God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. That's something that I want to be more of involved with in my life. That as I'm going throughout the day that I, would, that I would pray. As I get in the car, as I see things throughout the day, instead of just thinking in my mind, bring things to the Lord. As I think of friends, not just to think of friends and where they are, but to pray for them. As I think of churches and pastors and places that we've been, not just to think of it and have a memory, but to pray for them. Maybe it is the Lord bringing them to mind, maybe it's not. But I have found that there's often things going on in people's lives that I don't know anything about. But I know that when I've prayed about them and prayed for them and those things come to my mind, I'm very thankful that, you know what, I have been bringing them before the Lord. Because there are great needs in people's lives. In Mark 1 verse 35, it talks about Jesus rising up a great while before day that he went into, out into a solitary place and there he prayed. The Son of God took extra time to pray. To pray. That he would go to the Lord. And he took the disciples into the garden and, and he took them there to pray. And, and he said, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Because they slept. And, and, and sometimes it's, it's hard. It's hard to stay concentrating on those things. I, I often use a bookmark. I have a Bible that I read uh, for my devotional time and, and I've taken it with me in a lot of different places because it's small and I like to read out of that one and I use a little bookmark in there and I, I write, for me, I write just a keyword. And that way I can write more on that 3x5 card because if I write it a whole sentence, it takes up a lot of space. And I'll write a key word. And sometimes it's just one person's name, but it reminds me of their whole family and it reminds me of the situations. Uh, I, and, and just different things. And I pray different things on different days. And some things I pray every day. But something that might help you is to put that 3x5 card as, as your bookmark in your Bible. Or maybe a 4x6 card. And I've heard that people do that. But prayer is a privilege. Yet it's something that we take for granted. We don't have to pray to a saint. We can pray straight to God. Straight to God. And God asks us to do that. And we're also told that, that the Holy Spirit will pray, that he will intercede for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Have you ever felt something so deeply that you didn't know how to express it? That's okay. Because God understands your emotion better than you do. He understands what you're feeling. He can put into words. He knows exactly what you're thinking. He knows exactly the feelings. He knows exactly the misunderstandings. He knows all those things and he can interpret that for you. I have found that prayer is a dichotomy. On the one hand, it's an exercise. It takes work. It takes discipline to sit there and do that, to stay concentrated, to stay disciplined about the things that we pray for, but it's also while it's an exercise, it's a rest. That I can go to the Lord and just rest in Him. To rest in Him. Uh, I, I just, I've got to bring this in. I've been reading that, that biography and that missionary story. And one of the ways that he taught them how to trust God, they sleep in hammocks. And so those hammocks are suspended on poles. And so they learn to interpret faith as suspending their lives in Christ. To just, He's holding me. And that's how they describe faith. Well, we're suspended in him. And that's who we are. That's prayer. It is, a, it is dependence upon God. When we don't pray, we're depending on ourselves or somebody else for something. 
But when we pray, we're expressing our dependence upon God. God, I need you for this. It's an avenue for us to praise God, to tell God who he is. E.M. Bounds said that prayer is the mightiest agent to advance God's work. It's the mightiest agent to advance God's work. That, it pray, that prayer succeeds when all else fails. Oh, what a truth that is. Sometimes we have to get into those situations where we need prayer to actually see how weighty prayer is with God. I was privileged to go on a missions trip several years ago, uh, 2018 I think it was, and it, it, it was, you know, I'd been out of the country, I've been to Canada, okay, I don't know if you consider that out of the country, but I'd been, out, I'd been out of the country to Canada, I'd been to New Mexico, we did youth rallies in Mexico for, with a group, but those, they're different, right, it's, it's not America, I, I get that, but uh, I had really not been on a mission trip by myself or with just a few other people to, a, you know, maybe, maybe a, a far off place. And so the Lord led me to do that. And I still have this burden. We haven't been able to do it since COVID, but we're praying about this next May to go. And, and really the burden is to go to a place that does not have a missionary and, and not necessarily a country, but maybe a part of a country that there are no missionaries there. Maybe it's difficult for the missionaries to get there or impossible or it's just not ever going to happen because of uh, all kinds of circumstances. And there are plenty of places like that. I know of a few countries, well, I know of at least one that does not have any missionary at all. Uh, it really is amazing uh, how, how many places in the world where the gospel is, is just not there. And so we figure, look, if I can't go there forever, maybe I can at least go for 10 days. Right? And I can bring tracts, I can bring Bibles, I can bring New Testaments. If we have an interpreter, we can preach the gospel to them. We can leave that literature with them. And at least they've got the gospel. At least they've got God's word. And we can trust God to do the rest of it. And so uh, we, picked, we picked, because of a lot of circumstances, we picked uh, Madagascar. And so we went way out in the bush of Madagascar. But there was a lot of things about that that we found. As we started heading off that direction, we found out that it was not safe. Uh, we found out that we, we had planned on staying in tents and the, the governor of that district who'd never been there said, I know, I know you can't stay in tents, it's not safe enough for you to do that. Uh, and then that was very much the case. Um, there was a lot of things. We, didn't, we actually planned it for over a year and a half and yet we did not know when we landed in the capital how we were going to get from the capital to the place where we had prayed about, the place where we felt God led us. And God showed us. God protected us. God provided food for us. God provided a place to stay for us. God provided some miraculous things. But one thing I left with that is this. If people had not prayed, I think we'd have been in big trouble. If people had not prayed, we would not have seen the victories that we saw. We would not have seen specific answers to prayer that we absolutely needed. And that leaves me with this absolute need of prayer. That when we're in these situations that... Well, I don't, know how, I don't know the answer that we must pray. Effective Christian living needs prayer. It takes prayer. Effective witnessing takes prayer. Effective preaching and teaching takes prayer. Effective life takes prayer. How should we pray? Well, I think we have some examples here from Hannah to teach us. Notice in verses 10 and 15. In verse 10 it says, She was in bitterness of soul... And prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And then in verse 15, Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have, neither, I have drunk neither wine 
nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. She prayed impassionately. Impassionately. She had a passion behind that. I heard a preacher say one time that half-hearted prayer is no prayer at all. That's a conviction. That I need to be wholehearted in my prayer. Now that doesn't mean I need to cry every time I pray. But I need to put my heart behind it. That I need to be in earnest about the people that I pray for that are, that are lost. It's not a casual thing that they're headed on their way to hell if they don't repent of their sin and trust Christ. That is not a casual thing. People that I know that are away from God, that, that live in sin, that's a big deal. And I need to pray as if it is a big deal. And God wants to see my heart involved in that. And she prayed that way. In James chapter 5.16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The fervent prayer of a righteous man. And God wants us to pray fervently. Passion comes from the heart. In Psalm 63, the psalmist said, O God, early will I seek thee. My, my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee as in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Well, I think about those times. I know that at least in Kansas, and I'm assuming here, it can be very dry in the summertime. I remember August would come around, all the grass would die, the ground would crack open, and, and, the, and it would become very hard because of how dry it is. This summer I was in California, and I found out I was only 50 minutes from Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe can get 500 inches of snow in a winter. 500 inches. Uh, but I was only 50 minutes away, and they said that they don't get hardly any snow. I said, how is that? And they said, well, elevation changes everything. So we get 60 inches of rain in two months. And then it doesn't rain the whole year. So I'm there in July and everything is, you can see why they have forest fires. Everything is just parched. I, I mean, you think the sun would just, just burn it up from where it is because of how dry it is. And that that when the water does hit, we had a sprinkle one day and they were running their sprinklers uh, to, to water their grass almost 24 hours a day because it is so dry. It just soaks it all in. As dry and thirsty land, we ought to seek for the Lord. Passion comes from the heart. Trust in ye at all times, ye people. Pour out your soul before him. God is a refuge for us. Pour out your soul. That, that word, that, that phrase that she says there, you think about that. As, as Pastor was talking, I didn't know these plants were real. I, I thought, what if they're not real? And he's watering them, and he's got that psychological thing where, oh, they're, they're, they look more alive today. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're not real. I don't know. But as he pours out that water, you know, if he tripped or if he spilled that water on the carpet, you know, I mean, he could get a vacuum and he could probably suck that water up out of the carpet. But the, the idea is it's poured out. It's exposed. It's exposed and you're probably not getting that water back into that pitcher. And what she is saying is, I've taken my soul, my inner being, and I have poured it out before the Lord. I have shown God everything that is in my heart. And that is why you see my lips moving and you don't hear any voice. She probably didn't even realize she was doing that. I think we've all had times we prayed like that. And God wants that. God wants us to be impassioned about what we pray about. Uh, my Second daughter, one time my, my wife went shopping. She was pregnant with Reagan. She took Adriana with her. And this is when we lived in Indiana. And they went about 30 minutes north of us. And so I took care of Faith. 
And I fed her supper and gave her a popsicle and sent her outside so she didn't you know, drool it all over the table. I think she was two years old. And so I was inside and I heard a crash. And so I thought, you know, if I don't hear a cry, that's probably bad news. If I do hear a cry, it's probably good news. And so I, I went to the door because I didn't hear anything right away. And I saw her and I said, are you okay? And, you know, she, she looked absolutely fine. And she, I think she said she was. And so I just kind of knelt down beside her just to see how she was doing. And when I did, I noticed on the side of her neck there was blood coming down. And, I mean, it was, it was coming. And uh, so I tried to follow it up. And on her head, she had hit her head on something. We still don't know what it was, but, but I could see it was, it was not a steady, it was a steady stream, but it was kind of like her heartbeat, you know, you could kind of see it coming out. And I, I'm, I was a youth pastor, and so, and I traveled neighborhood Bible time, and so, you know, I know like when you have an activity and you have somebody hurt, you isolate the event, let other people deal with it, and the activity goes on over here. And I also learned to evaluate there are certain things that are not life-threatening. You know, you can lose a thumb, and it's not life-threatening. It's gross. It's a big deal, but it's not life-threatening. And so don't panic about the things that aren't life-threatening. And I had some injuries uh, myself, and some of my kids in the youth group had injuries. And so, but she's two years old, and it's a head injury. And I know they're going to bleed more than other things, but it's in the head. And at that time, because the blood was coming out so much, I mean, in this short amount of time, the whole back of her head's covered in blood. Her shirt's soaked. Her neck is covered. I don't know if there's something in there. I don't know. I don't know. And so I, I took her inside and I put her in the bathtub. I thought at least we can collect it, you know, keep it all in the same place. And uh, I didn't want to make a mess. And so then I'm like, okay, wh what is going to get me in trouble with my wife and what is not going to get in trouble with my wife? So I, I thought I've got to call her. And so I, but I called some nurses in our church first. And I said, hey, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm the dad, and I'm thinking, how much is this going to cost if I take her in, you know? And, but I'm like, I don't know what to do about it. So I called some nurses, and I said, hey, can you meet me in the hospital parking lot? And, uh, and that way you can determine. And so then I called my wife, and I said, I'm going to have to take, uh, take Faith to the, the hospital. And I thought she would panic. And she said, well... Is it, how serious is it is? Because I want to keep shopping. <laughs> so you, you can get her about something. And so I, I, I said, well, I'll let you know. If it's bad, I'll let you know. So I took her in. And, you know, I'm driving. And I'm driving fast. And uh, do you think I prayed during that time? I did. I did. I, I prayed. I prayed hard. Because I had some passion behind it. And, and, you know, it turned out it wasn't that big of a deal. Two staples. And it was done. You know, by the time we got there, it kind of cleaned off, but it was something we had to, you know, put back together because it was a big enough hole. We still don't know what she fell on, but all that to say, there was some passion behind it, and God wants us to pray that way. Notice verses 5 and 6, but Hannah gave, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. So notice that, and her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret again, because the Lord had shut up her womb. Twice. Now when God says something and he repeats himself, we should always take note. If he says it a little differently, then there's something that he's highlighting in that difference. But if it's the exact same thing and he says it twice or three times, he is driving a point home. And the point that he's driving home was, this was no biological accident. God had shut up her womb. 
In other words, she was praying the impossible. Sometimes we'll say, well, that's impossible. That doesn't mean you shouldn't pray about it. God delights in doing the impossible. God loves to do the impossible. I think that's one of the reasons why, why it seems like God waits so that when we get to that situation, there is no other answer but this is God. Several years ago, when I was in college, I don't know why, but the college put me in charge of a banquet, of all things. And it was a Valentine's banquet. The only reason I went to those banquets, either A, they were required, or B, there was the best food all year. And so, like, I just, I just didn't care. Um, in fact, oh, yeah, I, I'll just say it because I just said it, all right? Uh, I, and I asked my wife to go to a Valentine's banquet my sophomore year, and she turned me down. Do you believe that? She turned me down. So, anyway, there's that. <laughs> and so I was in charge of one. And those things are always like, whenever you're in charge of it, the people that are involved always want it to be, you know, you've got to beat last year's. You've got to be better than last year's, which is just, you know, it's an exercise in failure because somebody's not going to be better. And so, you know, our idea was let's be unique, let's be different. And it hardly ever snows in North Carolina, so their idea was, hey, let's... Uh, Let's, let's make it a, like a winter-themed banquet. And so we thought, you know, a lot of people will put a lot of attention to the centerpiece on the table. And so we decided that we were going to make the whole atmosphere of the centerpiece. So what we wanted to do was get fake snow and put it, we didn't want cotton. You know, that doesn't look like snow. I mean, at distance it might. We wanted stuff that looked like fake snow. So this was early days of internet purchasing. This is probably 2003, maybe four. And so Amazon, I think, only sold books at that time. And so uh, I had a, a female co-leader of this group. And so I was basically the driver behind all this, making sure people did their, their job. Hers was the creative ideas and execution of some of these other things. And so she purchased these snowflakes. And the thing was, we were only given $250 budget to decorate for this thing. And we spent 200 on the snowflakes. So this was... It has to work, and if it doesn't work, we fail. So we're getting closer to the date. Snowflakes have not showed up yet. We're getting closer. Finally, I mean, we have to decorate Friday. The banquet's on Saturday. It's probably, it's Wednesday, and we're praying. I mean, we're praying hard. We're, we're having, like, literally special prayer meetings that our snowflakes get here on time. And, and, you know, like I said, we, I don't think at that time I'd ever purchased anything online, but she did. And it was one of those things that older people were like, no, you don't do that. You're going to get ripped off. So, you know, I'm starting to have those doubts in my own mind. So I get on to her and I say, hey, look, we need, we need phone numbers. I need to call people and find out. So come to find out, she ordered it through company A, who ordered it through like maybe company B, et cetera. You know that whole thing? And, and one of the companies that we went through was, was China. And so I was like, this is not good. And, and how are we going to get it here? So I called the company, the original company, and they said, okay, what we find out is this, that the order went in, but it never got to the warehouse. So it never shipped. And so they're like, we could overnight it, but they were going to charge me to overnight it. And I'm like, it's not my fault. And it was going to be like $125 just to overnight it. And I was like, no, we, I, can't, I can't do that. And it's not my fault. What are we going to do? And they're like, well, you could come pick it up. And I'm like, you don't understand. We're in the middle of nowhere. We can't just come pick it up. And they said, well, here's your, what's your address? And so I told them the address and they said, what they said, actually, it's right down the road. And I am not kidding you. 
it was three miles from the college. And, and we are, as far as North Carolina is concerned, in the middle of nowhere. The town is 400 people. And it was literally probably the closest warehouse to the school. It, it's, it was just unreal. The building doesn't even exist today. I did, I've driven by the building. I had driven by there dozens and dozens of times. Every time I went to church, I had to drive by that building. And so I pulled up to the dock and I thought, you know, maybe, maybe angels work here. You know, maybe this is one of those things that, that, and so they said, just drive around and load it up. And so I went there and I thought, I'm going to take a good look at this guy because he might be an angel. And so he opened the, the door and he's got an ACDC shirt on. And I was like, not my kind of angel. <laughs> And so, anyway, to those of us that pray, to those of us that believe in God, that's really not that surprising, right? Because that's the kind of thing God does. Is God delights in the impossible? He wants us to pray those things. At the Red Sea, Moses prayed and God said, stand still and see the salvation of God. And the Red Sea was open. When they got to the Jordan River, they beseeched God, God, what do we do? When they went to Jericho, Lord, what do we do? And God made miracles every single time. God is a God of miracles. When the church prayed because Peter was in the prison and they let him out, they had a hard time believing even though they were praying about the very thing that God would do that. And God wants to come through in our lives. Don't be afraid to pray for that person that you say, it's impossible. There's a couple of men on my prayer list, fathers of friends of mine, and both of them, opposite ends of the spectrum, one should be in prison for some of the things that he's done. The other is, is, is in the world's eyes a saint. He, he worked EMT for, I don't know, 30, 40 years. Saved people's lives. A great guy. He won't get saved because he says, I don't, I've been a good person. I don't need to get saved. I'm a, God would not keep me out of heaven because I'm a good person. The other person says, there's no way I can be saved because I've done so many wicked things. They both need prayer. And you might, they, you might look at it and say, it's impossible because their hearts are so hard. But God's word is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Amen. And we can trust in our God to do those things. And sometimes it's the most unlikely person. But we need to pray. We need to pray for the impossible. Through prayer, God accomplishes the impossible. Some things might seem that way, but they don't seem that way to God. And then notice verse number 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And then we know, verses 13 through 15, that she prayed fervently to the Lord and her, only her lips moved. Now, if you could go to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, we're going to see some other things that were involved in her prayer life, although she is not mentioned. Luke chapter 11. Verse number 5 of Luke chapter 11. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Verse 7. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot arise and give thee. I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and him that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Pray with importunity. Importunity is not a word that we use, but it's a word that we see. It's a word that I see and I saw today with my daughter in the store. 
you know, she was just begging and begging and begging and begging about getting something. You know what, eventually, I gave in. I did not want to. I did not want to give in. I, I, I do not want to be that parent, okay? But she wasn't whining, okay, because I have a rule in my house. If you whine, you just guarantee you're not going to get what you ask for because I'm not giving into that. But she wasn't. She was excited about everything. She, she was asking about everything, but because of her persistence, and that's the idea. You know, in those days, they didn't have the motels. They didn't have the grocery stores. And so, you know, a friend might show up and say, hey, it took me 10 hours to walk from my house to get here. I need a place to stay. And absolutely, they were going to open the doors. But they said, look, I don't have the bread. Let me go see if my neighbor does. And so he knocks on his door. Finally, he comes to the door and says, you know, quit, would you quit knocking? I'm trying to go to sleep here. And he says, I need some bread. And he's like, look, we're asleep. I'm not waking up my kids to give you bread. And he says, well, look, I'm not going to leave your doorstep until you give me this bread because I have to be a gracious host to, to my friend that has come. And so what is he saying? God is saying, I want you to pray with importunity. I want you to come persistently, consistently. Not whining, not when God says no, we get back up in God's face, but until God gives us an answer, we are consistent, persistent, we, we pray without ceasing. We're continuously seeking his face about those things. The best prayer requests that I have ever seen answered are the ones that I had to stay consistent with. The ones that I was the most joyed about. That God answered my prayer because I stuck with it. This is things, this is being pressing, being urgent, being faithful in prayer. Do not tire of praying. I know we can, but don't be tempted. Say no to the temptation. Stick with it. Then I want you to notice in verse number 11 of 1 Samuel, you can go back there. 1 Samuel chapter 11, or chapter 1, verse number 11. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Notice that it says, O Lord of hosts, God that can do anything. And then the next word, I have it underlined in mind, and you can if you would like to, if. She was not making a demand from God. She was not saying, God, I'm naming it and claiming it. You have to answer me. She was saying, if you will. And if, and then she says, handmade three times. She calls herself his handmaid three times. I am your servant, Lord. What am I saying? She prayed impression, impressionably. She said, Lord, I, I want to be moldable in your hands. I am your servant. You are not my servant. You don't have to give me, but if you do give me, I will give him back. And that no razor shall come upon him. said, what she's saying is, he's going to be a Nazarite. A Nazarite was someone who was taking a vow of separation to the Lord. And most of the time, that was a specific time frame. But in, the, in, in her eyes, she's saying his entire life, he is given to the Lord. That I am giving him to the Lord. And we see that of Samuel. That he served the Lord his entire life. She prayed impressionably. That idea of, Lord, if you don't give me this, I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to obey you. I'm still going to pray about other things. My kids like playing with Play-Doh. And I remember as a kid, I did too. I don't find the joy in it that I, that I used to. 
But I remember in those days, you know, basically you might have had a plastic knife and you might have had that little cup and you might have had some cookie cutters that your mom or grandma gave you to use at the Play-Doh. Today, you, they don't use any of that stuff. They've got like, you can buy, for a lot of money, you can buy these things, you put the Play-Doh in and you crank it and it comes out like spaghetti and, and you can do all these other things that, and so you buy more of the accoutrements than you do with the Play-Doh. And if it's my kids, it, it's the, they, they mix it together all the time. And we have to say, stop mixing it together. You know, where they, they leave the lid cracked open and it turns hard, you know. But they, they still love that Play-Doh. And the thing about Play-Doh is that you can do, you can mold it into just about anything. And we need to be like Play-Doh in the Lord's hands. Having that attitude, Lord, this is my desire, but God, I understand that you have a bigger picture. You understand the ins and outs of these things. My friend that died earlier this year, uh, 30, 30, well, he went in the hospital at 36 years old, and then he died at 39. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And at the beginning, we thought, you know what, God's going to do something. The further it got, because it was a brain injury, we realized that even if he does survive, his quality of life is, is not going to be what it was. But we still prayed. We prayed for miracles. And God didn't answer. And sometimes that's hard to swallow. We still don't understand why. And there's some ramifications today that we still ask questions. Why? Why did this happen this way? But you know what? God is sovereign. And God understands, and I don't. But yet God wants me to pray, and it can change his heart. As I read through the Bible, and I've been reading in Genesis recently, and I'm seeing people pray, and I see how God reacts to our prayer. And I don't understand all of that. I don't understand how God says, hey, I'm going to do this. And somebody prays and God says, okay, I'll do something different. I don't understand how that all works. But I understand that it does work. And that God says, I want you to pray. I understand that somebody prayed for me before I got saved. I understand that people prayed for me when I wasn't living for the Lord and, and I got right with the Lord. I understand that God uses those things, that God answers prayer of provision. God answers prayer. And what God is telling us by this is, no matter if you are the second wife, God hears your prayer. If the world undervalues you because you don't have that child, I still value you. It doesn't matter if I am the one that shut up your womb, I can answer prayer. And then when you come to me and it's on your heart and you're willing and I might give you that petition. But know this, if God doesn't give us what we want, we still have him. And that is better than anything he could give us. And now my encouragement, my challenge to you tonight is this. What is that impossible thing in your life? What is that person that you need to pray for? And maybe you've let that slide in your life. It's not been answered. That doesn't mean quit. It means keep going. And God will answer that. Several years come through. He would lay down and then within a minute to 30 seconds after the lights went off, he'd roll over and get on his elbows and his knees and he would pray. You know what? I know what he was praying about. He's praying for his dad. His brother and sister, they would pray. They would fast once a week for their dad. Four years of college, masters, ministry, and finally, one day, I get this text message. And his dad had been saved. You know, years, years. And I was thankful. Now, I hadn't prayed as consistently as I had in college, but I'd still been praying. And that rejoicing and that joy to see that. You know, it was simple. And he'd heard the gospel 
many, many, many times. But he was dyed in the wool of the religion of his ancestors, and he would not change. But he was sitting in a church service with his daughter, as he had many, many times before, and he looked over at her and he said, we need to talk. Can we talk? And she said, yes. And he said, I need to be saved. You know, it wasn't anything fantastic. No famous preacher. But you know that continual drip, not only of preaching, but of prayer. And God answered prayer. Don't stop praying. With your heads bowed and eyes closed. There's so many things.